0: Hello, everybody. Today is the 2nd of December 2022, a beautiful day to fly here in North Carolina, over there in England. In this week's show, this is episode 436. We're almost to 500. Can you guys believe it? Uh, <clears throat> right, we're almost there. We're going to start planning it. This uh, no, week, we're
1: we to got to get uh, down. It's going to be a big planning session coming up soon.
0: Yeah, I feel like we're going to do an APG and just kind of have a barbecue here in North Carolina. But anyways, here in uh, this week's show, we're gonna talk about pilot incapacitations. We're gonna talk about some single pilot operations, which just keeps popping up every couple of months. We're gonna talk about some medical reforms, as well as letting everyone know that Elvis's private jet is up for auction. So we should start pulling our money right now. In the military, we're gonna talk about those uh, Western pilots that were helping train the Chinese, and now they're in a heap of trouble. Uh, The Argentinians snubbed India in favor of an American F-16 deal. And Ukraine is set to receive some secondhand seekings from our friends over at the United Kingdom. Joining me this week, the godfather of all UK aviation podcasts, is Carlos Stebbings. Hi,
1: Carlos. <laughs> Thanks, Armando. Oh, what an introduction. That should be me giving that kind of introduction to you to, you know, to introduce you on the show. Oh, hello. Uh, yeah, welcome from a, a very chilly and damp and wet uk five degrees celsius very foggy it's been foggy most of today, to be fair and i know i've been stuck on the uk it's one of the uk's biggest and longest roads for most of today on the on the a1m today just for a change so how are things yeah,
0: but it's the uk so there is actually no straight uh, parts of that road that are more than about a kilometer long right
1: well, there are some bits that are straight, and to be fair, it is less potholey than the uh, the A14 or the A12. Um, the only problem was this morning, that, uh, at, well, at, at the early this morning, because it was around about 9 o'clock this morning, they shut a large section of the A1 off, which meant I had to take a detour, which in the van, which I'm glad I was in the van today, wasn't too bad. But if I'd have been in the truck, it would have been a different story now, because I probably would not have... Yeah, not have been back here in time to do the show. But, um, yeah, the tr- problem is, Armando, in this country we've got a thing, and Neville knows this, when it's f- when it's foggy, people don't bother putting their fog lights on, and when it's not foggy, people put their fog lights on.
0: Yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, there is There are a lot of things that I miss about England. The roads are not one of them. I'd rather go fly an experimental pl- paraglider than go back to driving on the farm roads of england and cheating death pretty much every time that i get in my car but that's a uh, american driving over there anyway speaking of uh royalty with big news this week i don't know if you guys know did you guys see the news article the ceo of nev air branching out starting his own business it's nev
2: <laughs> yeah i was trying to keep that quiet but uh no that the news got out onto the wires didn't it but uh, yeah hi everybody Hope you had a good week. It's been a very hectic week for me this week. Lots of driving, um, lots of resetting engine management code lights on the Focus. We don't, you know, that's a bit of a nuisance. So uh, Again? that's got to go into the garage next week for a bit of investigation. Uh, but I had a great meet-up with, guess who? Nick Codling on uh what day was it was it wednesday or was it thursday (laughs) oh dear um it was the the 30th of november anyway whatever date that was that was that was a wednesday wasn't it so i happened to be down in uh, exeter uh, right next to the airport at the hilton there and uh, he doesn't work very far from there so we had a great uh chance to meet up catch up talk aviation and general stuff and it was great to see him because i haven't seen him since the 400th show so it was uh, really nice to see nick and thanks ever so much for coming out to play nick it was really enjoyable uh, so uh, yeah, it was great. To, uh, great
0: to meet up. Yeah, so, that's the best part about this is meeting up with our listeners and putting names to faces, isn't it?
1: That's what we need to. Do. We need to plan more meetups next year here in the UK, so we can uh, can some well, we can see more people, see more of the listeners. That's one one of the points that we're going to have to bring up in our um our annual meeting in the new year, guys. Yes,
0: hmm. preferably after. Uh, April 11th and before April 18th, because uh, that's when I'll be over there in the UK. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll anyway, have, we'll have the meeting then. Yeah, that was that would be great. Um, you are very quickly going to realize that we are missing a few folks. We're missing our resident button pusher Matt, who I'm sure is doing something very, very productive and much more <laughs> interesting than hanging with us on a Friday night. Uh, also missing this week is producer John, who is off slipping the surly bonds. Um, taming this guy somewhere like the intrepid aviator that he is. So, Carlos is button pushing. We'll see how this goes. Um, let's see. But most importantly, we've got our chat room and I've got it up. And in there, uh, first into the chat room getting the gold star is actually Neville Bounds. Uh, so, good job, sir. You get the gold star for being first in there. Uh, close, close seconds and third. Mazuz Karim's in there, Richard Adams in there. Uh, I see Hobby Times in there. Lee Davies is in there. Thank you. I can't wait to go back and forth with Lee throughout the show. Um, We've got Captain Cruz in there. Nick Codling is in there. So maybe you can tell us the other side of the the meetup. Main man, Micah, with a blue spanner of death. And Dr. Steph is in there. I love it. Keeping an eye on us also. Bill's in there. Nico's in there. Alan White's in there. Arnie's in there. And just noticed uh, that
2: Alan White is in uh, Paris Charles de Gaulle Airport. Oh, not one of my favorites, I have to say. I'm just wondering, wondering how he's getting on there. That's all. Well, That's all I, I can That's
1: remember all. going through Charles de Gaulle once, Nev, and I honestly thought that I'd gone back to 1974.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, hey, you know what? Bell bottoms are making a comeback, and so is ABBA.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> you just talked uh, you just talked about one of the discos i do on a saturday night aren't you armando that's what it is abba yeah
0: at, yeah well actually we had an abba dance party in our house last night only because it, uh, my chief pilot hates abba <gasps> and i to just send him a video of the entire family singing to <laughs> uh fernando which we've renamed armando <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, anyone listening to the audio version, come over to YouTube, come see our beautiful faces. Uh, It's youtube.com slash plain talking UK, or you could just search it. You can hit the subscribe button, hit the bell icon and get notified when we hit that live button or get notified five minutes late when Carlos hits that uh, live button. (laughs) And then you can be part of the chat room and shape the show. Anyways, guys, we got a lot of stories to talk about. Carlos, are you ready? Let's do some commercial. Let's
1: do it. Now, we did touch on this uh, on, I think it was last week's show, guys, didn't we, about the uh, liquids. I think we just briefly touched on it. Uh, But uh, this story comes first from theguardian.com. And London City Airport uh, are going to allow laptops and liquids through security in hand luggage. So passengers will be able to leave laptops and liquids in their hand luggage when passing through security at London City Airport from next year. The hub is trialling one security lane equipped with advanced baggage Scanners and plans to introduce the machines in all of its lanes by April. The airport in the east of capital said it will be one of the first in the UK to offer full CT or computed tomograph or tomography scanners. Tomography? Tomography? I don't know. Uh, the airport said it would replace its conventional security X-ray machines with new technology. Passengers failing to remove items from their bags or travelling with large bottles of liquids and creams are the biggest cause of delays at airport security the new system will mean that travelers can leave everything in their hand luggage before going through the x-ray machine it emerged uh, this week that security restrictions on liquids and laptops in airport hand luggage could be abolished completely in the UK in 2024 due to the deployment of the high-tech 3D scanners. The government is considering rolling out the advanced technology in two years' time, although a final decision has not been made, a source told the BBC. The new technology, which has been trialled at London's Heathrow Airport since 2017, enables staff to zoom in on a bag's contents, rotate the images for inspection. And London City Chief Operating Officer Alan Fitzgerald said in a statement, following one of our lanes trials this year we know the new CT scanners are high performance and our passengers love them it also delivers the high security specifications Currently, passengers taking liquids into the cabin are restricted to containers of up to 100 millilitres, which must be placed in a single transparent resealable plastic bag when they pass through airport security. And these rules have been in place since November 2006. The advanced scanners are already in use in US airports. Be interesting to hear about this, Armando, such as Hartsfield-Jackson and Atlanta, uh, Georgia, O'Hare uh, oh, 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 in Chicago, as well as Helsinki Airport and Amsterdam's Schiphol Airport. So Armando, I'm guessing that uh, you've already seen these over in your neck of the woods.
0: I got to be honest, I haven't noticed. I, uh, yeah, I have not gone through security in Atlanta in a long time. So I'm not actually sure. I haven't seen how this works, but we have been talking about this for the last couple of months, haven't we? Hmm.
1: What do you think, Nev? Is this this uh, Is Drenus a good idea? Do you think the well, is up to the?
2: Yeah, but uh, Alison Fitzgerald uh, says our passengers love them. I beg to differ. The four times I've been through them, well, obviously not myself, but my bags, twice at London City Airport and twice at Amsterdam Schiphol, along with a whole load of other people, all that seems to happen is that the bags get pulled to one side, you know, they go into the what I call the naughty lane uh, of the conveyor belt, uh, and then have to be manually searched. It's taking twice as long as it would do in the normal thing now um they've got one of these machines at london city and i think all of them at uh, all lanes at um Skipol. but uh, i've not had any experience where it's been faster in fact it's been slower because there's there's manual intervention required um I hope it gets better it has to get better um because this is the the biggest bottleneck that's going on at the moment and if they're going to have to manually search many of the bags that go through that then you might as well just revert back to the the original stuff but i i I remain to be impressed uh, by it but i've not been so far um, uh, Mash is just saying in the chat
1: room. Actually, um, Schiphol has had them for a long time and never had a problem with them. Well, it's obviously know, just me. must oh, be. <laughs> <laughs> But it, it is one of those things that causes bottle. I think because people just forget. You put your bottle of, or you know, your um, bottle of water you purchase from the WH Smith in the airport, and you just sling it in your bag, forget about it, and then they they spot. But it I've got around. none
2: of that. You see, I've got none of that. I just very small amounts of liquid, laptop, iPad, and that's it um and myself along with so many other people uh, end up getting uh, the bags get manually searched and therefore the the queues are just as big so anyway well if if they've got a solution for it i'm up for it because um if we can get through security quicker so much the better
1: and uh, before we move on, Nev uh, Lee Davis is saying, an, uh, no crisp shirt was a reason at Neville Bounds." So ah, well, that, they yeah. are actually. Yeah, it. you weren't wearing that crisp shirt nope, as usual. They are obviously if you were if if you were wearing the PTUK shirt, they would. Oh, obviously straight put through. You through, straight Just through. So, it's yeah. fast track every time. Yeah, yeah, every time. So Nev, you've got the next story, and uh, it's uh, it's uh, well,
2: it's about hydrogen propulsion. Hmm. Uh, AIN online is the website for this one and it says that uh, Rolls-Royce <coughs> and EasyJet have completed ground tests with an early concept demonstrator for a hydrogen propulsion system that they hope will eventually be capable of powering narrow body airliners. The partners announced on the 20, um, 28th of November that they recently ran a modified Rolls-Royce AE2100A turboprop airliner engine on green hydrogen made from wind and tidal power, inspired by the United Nations-backed Race to Zero campaign to achieve net-zero carbon emissions by 2050. A series of ground tests conducted during November with the concept demonstrator at the UK's uh, Boscombe Down Defence Research Facility has prepared the way for full-scale ground tests using the Pearl 15 turbofan engine that Rolls-Royce developed for Bombardier's global 5,500 and 6,500 business jets. Eventually, the engine maker intends to scale up the technology to work with large turbofans need for aircraft such as the Airbus A320 family operated by EasyJet across Europe. Um, And uh, separately, uh, Airbus is building a hydrogen fuel cell engine for aircraft and as part of its goal to have zero emission aircraft enter service by 2035 airbus has announced the development of a hydrogen fuel cell engine designed for airplanes unlike rolls-royce's recently announced jet engine that burns hydrogen directly it would use an electric motor just like fuel cell cars whilst emitting only water It could eventually be employed in commercial aircraft that could carry up to 100 passengers around 1,000 nautical miles, the company said. Airbus plans to test the engine by the middle of the decade on its um, A380 MSN1 aircraft, currently being modified to carry hydrogen tanks, it said. However, the technology appears to be designed for smaller regional type aircraft that use more efficient propeller rather than jet engines the company didn't provide any more details but fuel cells are a well-known technology for cars they're far less efficient than battery electric vehicles if you count fuel production and conversion to electricity however they do have more range are faster to refuel and lighter with the latter of course being essential for aircraft so lots more uh, in the world of carbon zero um, and um well it's it's a bit of a race isn't it who's going to get there first
0: yeah i thought it was interesting that airbus and rolls-royce are both publishing their hydrogen engine efforts this week um and basically taking two different approaches i don't know how many times we've talked about this on the show you know with neil Cloughley and his uh, approach to hybrid propulsion but it it is it does exactly now feel like the race is on now and and over the next year or two, I feel like we're gonna be talking a lot about this and about these hybrid engines and alternative fuels and sustainable fuels. Um, I know I subscribe to all of the business aviation, the National Business Aviation Association um, weekly newsletter, and that is a big deal for in the business sector is these sustainable aviation fuels as well as hybrid propulsion. Um, and I think as this article kind of insinuates, we will probably see it on some business jets right before we see it develop into a larger scale commercial um, implementation or something like that.
1: I don't know what to make of it, really. This whole um, hydrogen-powered thing. I quite like the smell of Jet A1, personally, but, you know.
0: Who's ever driven at one of those (laughs) smoking Defenders? Oh, the Defenders, yeah, yeah. I thought about I once I thought about I had I used to have a Defender and I thought about converting it over to a liquid propane and I'm, I don't know what I was I don't know the advantage that I was going to get by doing that but I don't know I like my two point three or two point five liter petrol engine that I had in it. That yeah, the, <laughs> the, the difference is, Mando,
1: you can you can afford to fill a tank in the US, whereas in the UK you need to take out various loans and stuff to fill up a, a tank of uh, fuel in the UK. Is that right, Nev?
2: Absolutely. Although (laughs) the fuel cost has come down slightly by a few pennies in the last uh, couple of weeks, but uh, not to the level of the United States. No, unfortunately. Nowhere
0: near. (laughs) We went up and then we came way back down. And and now, actually, I just flew the Cub this morning and uh, the person I was flying asked me how much it is. And it's actually down to about $5 a gallon for AB gas for 100 low lead, um, which was it's about 250 less than it was just a few months ago so well it is coming back down pretty significantly here in the u.s
1: we can only wish hey nev one day anyway Um, armando you've got the next story and it's i think it's an update isn't it you've got from the the dallas air show crash
0: that's right it uh There's been some social media on this. It's been out on some of the aviation channels. Now that the NTSB has issued their preliminary report, um, this particular story is from WSLS.com, which is local news reporting. Um, So as we know, there was was six crew members killed a couple weeks ago uh, at that uh, Wings Over Dallas air show where the P-63 Air Cobra um, crashed into the B-17 Texas Raiders. Um, so now that there has been the initial interviews, the preliminaries out, it's actually turning out um, when when I spoke on the subject, I was talking about crowd lines and how there was a 500-foot crowd line and a 1,000-foot crowd line. A lot of that was based um, on the analysis by Mr. McSpadden from uh, from the AOPA, Air Safety Institute. Well, now we have more information, and um, that those statements that that i was making that that some people were making were based on some core rules of engagement and some cool op, uh, core operating procedures for any air show that that i've ever taken part of standard operating procedures what well, has turned out that there is a lot of criticism now about the qualifications of the air boss for that air show and that there was actually no coordination of altitudes Uh, before the flight while the airplanes in the air and the report actually said that the p63 was the third in a formation of three fighters as we know the first two were p51s the b17 was the lead ship of a five ship bomber formation um and apparently there was no deconfliction from time and space um by the air boss now i am certainly not blaming the air boss here on the show, but it seems to be a, a pretty significant causal factor that 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 kind of deconfliction was not previously coordinated before the day's events on the air show. Um, in addition to that, there was apparently an instruction given from the air boss to the fighter formation to overtake and take the lead in front of the bomber formation. Um, we at Reno, we, it's because Reno is, is mostly races, but about 20% of the week is air show. And we, I get to sit in the briefings with the ground boss, with the air boss, with the mini boss, with the safety FAA, everybody's in there. And one of the, the core tenets of running air shows is that nobody flies your airplane. You, nobody flies your airplane from the ground. And there was an instruction Given to the fighter formation um, that resulted in a loss of separation between the fighter and the bomber formation. The rest of the events happened as as we all know already, and the, and we have briefed where the limited visibility from the P sixty three led to the ultimate collision between the two aircraft. The B seventeen never saw the P sixty three coming, but. Um, The investigation seems to be going that way, where there was a lack of coordination from the top down uh, for the entire air show. So that's pretty much uh, the update that we're getting. This is coming out from people that were there, people that were in the briefings. There's actually recordings of the briefings. Um, Obviously, before they are made public, the NTSB is getting a heck of them. but it seems to be the way the investigation is going. So very unfortunate series of events there. How,
1: how do you think this is going to affect air shows over in, in the US, um, Amanda? Because obviously in the UK, obviously we've had our share of some quite bad accidents here in the UK over the years. Obviously not hundreds, but there are occasional accidents. Do you think this will change things heavily in the US as to how air shows are put together, how they're run, where the public are, where the display? actual circuit is set in regards to where the, where the, um, the crowds is. Uh,
0: I think initially we all thought that we thought that this was a, um, a landmark event in the air show circuit. Now that this information is coming to light and kind of finding a, a bit of a smoking gun, which was just one individual or a staff of individuals. Um, it may not, really affect the air show execution aside from perhaps reviewing the qualifications of an air boss or establishing some more FAA oversight as to the actual execution of the day's events. Um, I think that's where we're going to see the most immediate change. will
1: Armando's frozen. Nev, are you still there? We seem to have lost Armando. Have we lost? I think we've lost that. Uh, lost a Zoom feed. Yes, we've
2: lost. We've lost Armando, and we've lost the Zoom feed. Beforehand, and on the day itself. Um, so things start to go wrong when unplanned events start happening is, is, is am i reading that the right mm-hmm. one?
0: exact no you're you're exactly right they um when you're doing audible changes like that uh, audible as in you know football term sports term where you're making changes on the fly to the brief um we we take great pride in our briefings and having all of the information it's already such a dynamic environment that you you're trying to write down as much uh information on your knee board that you eliminate those kinds of on-the-fly decisions and instructions so you are exactly right now um, and when you start moving things uh, on the schedule or moving formations around without having briefings that is that is exactly where things go wrong. One of the places, I suppose. Yeah.
1: So moving on to the next story then. And uh, this one comes to us from aeroexplorer.com. And it's a story that I think we all saw on the social media networks this week because it featured um, quite heavily on Twitter. I know it says quite a few pictures on there. And it's the uh, Mooney that crashed into power lines in, is it, is it Ga- Gaithersburg? Gaithersburg? Petersburg, Maryland. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Thursday, November the 27th, uh, a an m- MFC Corporation Mooney M20J departed uh, Westchester County Airport uh, in White Plains, New York at 3 p.m. before crashing and becoming entangled in power lines approximately two and a half hours later. The aircraft was bound for Montgomery County Air Park in Gaysburg, MD. On the approach to Montgomery County Air Park, restricted visibility became an issue for the 65-year-old lawyer, Patrick Merkel, the pilot flying. Weather conditions were reporting mist and fog, low visibility and cloud ceilings at the time, uh, requiring instrument flying conditions. The aircraft crashed into the power lines almost two miles northwest of the runway whilst on final. Uh, the accident uh, which took place at 5 30 p.m with both the pilot and passenger trapped inside while the aircraft was suspended on the power lines approximately 100 feet above the ground it took emergency services and uh, in excess of seven hours to extricate the plane and its occupants with 120,000 homes left without power during the operation montgomery county schools were closed for the day oh, i bet the kids were really upset by that uh with the entire rescue complete at 1am in the morning both occupants uh, occupants of the aircraft sustained serious injuries according to the montgomery county fire and ems service as of now the ntsb are investigating the crash and estimates preliminary report within three uh, weeks of this crash the ntsb says it will be focusing mainly on the pilot the aircraft and the environment at the time of the accident and no criminal activity or foul play is suspected as yet now monday i was reading the reports about this when it when it was online after or a day after it happened it did say on there that because it uh, sort of shocked me a bit that they were hanging there for quite some time but they, they can't obviously exactly just climb up and grab these people from the aircraft with power lines at uh, are. Possibly, you know, even though they're switched off, still have um, a a fair amount of static, I'd imagine, or um, built up residual power in the lines itself.
0: Well, this was a pretty significant power line running through the area. Um, They were tall. They were high tension power lines. So even to just shut the power off, um, to quote the philosopher Spock from Star Trek, um, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. So if you're going to shut off power to a major power line system running through Gaithersburg, which is suburban Washington, D.C., there's a lot of coordination that needs to happen before you do that. All of your emergency services, hospitals, uh, homes, that uh, retirement homes that will be affected, medical facilities. <clears throat> it was you know late in the evening. But before you shut off that kind of power to an area, uh, you're going to have to coordinate that with a lot of agencies. So that's probably took a little bit of of time to do that. Um, I'm sure they were, you know, the the, the first responders were on the scene and talking to the individuals from the ground hundred feet down, but um, to actually effect the rescue took some serious coordination. Um, As far as the cause of this one, yeah, you can see in that picture there, I mean, they were about 100 feet up. The power lines are about 200 feet. Uh, so pretty pretty significant uh, power line. Uh, two thing, two takeaways from this, the, the structural integrity of the Mooney, <laughs> uh, pretty impressive there to be able to run into a power line tower and uh, still maintain its structural integrity. Uh, but I think as a causal factor, you're probably going to find that uh, spatial disorientation and lack of instrument proficiency are probably going to be the at, at the top of the initial report. Um, because if you're two miles from the runway at 100 feet, trying to do an instrument approach, you're not in the right place.
1: Yeah, I'm just looking at the uh, one of the other pictures. I'll just see if I can grab this picture as well of the uh, the cherry picker that they used. Let me just uh, put my camera on here so you can just see me just for a second. I'll put, bring this picture up here because um, I were talking one of the stories about the cherry picker they were used. There we go. Uh, for the benefit of you all on YouTube. Um, I'm surprised they managed to find a cherry picker with a long enough boom mast to get up to the aircraft itself. So I think they've done a, quite a good job there, Monday actually.
0: Yeah. Um, well, our expert field analysis, uh, analysis and analysts are actually, uh, we've got some commentary, which is, don't we have more current information? And Micah also says, funny that they would crash into power lines that provide AC power right into DC. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, said the story was really shocking yeah <laughs> we were all electrified by the whole thing
1: oh my word let's move swiftly on before anything else happens on the show uh nev you've got the next story
0: Correspondent,
2: <laughs> well sadly on a rather more serious note this is on flyingmag.com Um, And it says that an airline pilot who became incapacitated during a flight from Chicago to Columbus, Ohio on November the 19th has died. The pilot, whose name has not been released... was required required flight crew aboard Envoy Flight 3556, which was an Embraer uh, E-175, operating as American Eagle with service from Chicago to John Glenn International Airport. According to liveatc.com, approximately 30 minutes into the flight, the pilot flying as first officer notified air traffic control by saying need to return, the captain is incapacitated. The flight was cleared back to O'Hare. Subsequent transmissions between ATC and O'Hare tower depict uh, controllers giving the pilot flying clearance back to the the airport and information as to where to taxi so that medical personnel uh, could get to the incapacitated pilot. According to a story appearing on CNBC... Captain Rick Wilson, vice president of Envoy's flight Operations, said in a note to staff that the uh, incapacitated pilot was a captain in training, occupying the left seat. Uh, Yesterday, the airline released a statement on the event, noting that the flight landed safely and the first responders met the aircraft upon arrival. Despite heroic efforts by those on board and first responders uh, on the ground, our colleague passed away at the hospital. uh, We're deeply saddened and are doing all we can to support his family and our colleagues at this time. Uh, It's worth remembering, of course, that in the US, it's mandatory to have two pilots aboard uh, during a Part 121 operations uh, for safety reasons. Um, Of course, there have been other uh, incidents as well um actually all of these uh, this year uh, jet 2 near frankfurt on the uh, september 22nd where a first officer was incapacitated uh, west jet 737 near winnipeg on the uh, 16th of november one of the pilots was briefly incapacitated um and uh, uh, alaska b 77800 uh, over the pacific two flight attendants incapacitated due to fumes uh 737-800 uh, of Fly Dubai near Shiraz. A captain was incapacitated. And uh, Austrian uh, 737, sorry 7th, um 300 near Vienna on October 22nd uh, where a first officer was incapacitated. So um, yeah, very sad. Very sad to hear the news about what's happened there. But that's why there's two guys or girls mm. in the cockpit.
1: Is that something? Is that something you ever think about, Armando? Because I know a lot of the, the flights that you do, you, you're on your own up there. Is that is that you know something that th- that goes in the back of your mind sometimes?
0: Um, certainly. Uh, it, the, the only airplane that I fly professionally on my own is the Pilatus, and when it's a Part 135 charter, we always have two pilots up there. Um, even when I am doing Part 91 owner flights in the Pilatus, I always request. Uh, to have a second pilot there. That's usually a pilot of my choosing. Um, so I've got a little network of uh, flight instructors and up-and-coming professional aviators that have all their qualifications. So they may have a commercial, single-engine, commercial, multi-engine land. Um, but there's, a, there's this weird, you're in limbo uh, part of your career between getting your freshly minted commercial license and being hired by anybody at 750 to 1,000 hours so I I like to take those individuals that I've met over the years here in the Charlotte area, and I will request to the owner that I fly with a second pilot on board, um, even if I can't pay them anything. Um, but they're there for the experience and they're there for the safety of uh, exactly this kind of incident. Uh, Nev, I, I put I, that was just a pull of of aircrew incapacitation incidents reported in the last three months. Mm. Um, so. It is actually much more common than than one would think. And I don't understand how airlines are still pushing for single pilot operations um, within a pa- passenger carrying capacity. Um, Carlos, you've got the audio from this with the uh, silence removed, right?
1: Um, oh, excuse me.
0: Um, I don't think I Sir, have... Started playing there
1: for a second. Oh, that was uh, that was through through the my laptop here. I don't think. It, well, you might be able to hear it on there. Um, just see if it if it will if you can hear it or not. Let's just have a look and see how clear that is. This might work. Here we go. Can I help you six? Uh,
0: we return, uh, Captain. Is incapacitated. Onway 3556 5, as instructed, go ahead and give me that right turn heading 040. Right turn 040, onway 3556. I maintain 5,000 feet and uh, we're going to have to Chicago departure on 125.0. So we're going to get to resequence right back in. That's And
3: 5056.
4: Onway 3556, 4,000, 5,000. Onway 3556, onway Yeah, we're going to uh, on point you're returning exactly. That permit a quick spot for the captains against On uh, point we
0: one 287, this is at zero way on point speed you're going to be 3,000. No, 3,000 on point expect your On point 133.62. 3362, 1-3526. 3, 3, That's right, 1-3556 is 5,000, 3,000. 1-3556, got a approach, Roger. So the visual approach from 1-2-8-center, they give you discretion to 3, is that right? Yep, and we're at 4-8-0-3,000. Uh, 40, uh, okay, and uh, did you have any information I need to pass along to this hour in terms of uh, paramedics, gate number, any of that? not get a number, and he's knocked out where any paramedics are uh, working on everything right
1: now. Okay, thank you and the recording is is available on uh, on Twitter in various seasons we will put the uh, the links on the show notes uh, one of the things that I did note from I've heard this this recording um myself before Armando um, was how calm the the first officer was during the whole process there was no you know he, he's very um well composed
0: yeah well so uh Part of that has to do with the uh, individual sitting in the right seat was actually a, a captain and a line check airman. So the the individual that eventually deceased was actually an upgrade. Uh, so it was a captain upgrade. That was That uh, was progressing up to captain. And uh, and the person in the right seat was a, a training captain, a line check airman. When this whole situation happened, so so the individual in the right seat was actually well qualified to fly that airplane. but um, Whether or not it was a line check airman, uh, this was a, a conversation that we had here in, in our aviation family was, it's, just, it's also a reminder that even a first officer, a brand new first officer even done with brand new from training is a qualified uh, pilot of that aircraft. They, ha- they receive a PIC type rating in the Embraer, um in the crj and whatever regional airliner they're fully qualified to be up there and they can they're fully qualified to to fly that airplane in all phases of flight there is one thing that we didn't get to in the audio recording that is a a point of contention amongst our professional aviators um, do you guys know when you get on the ground how do you steer an airplane
1: use a tiller normally on the captain's side just near where your knee is where your knee sits
0: exactly so further along in the recording the tower asks the pilot flying who is no doubt at this point in an emotional situation right uh, an emotional event as i like to say um do you need a, any assistance what are your intentions once you land and that pilot says well i'm gonna have to stop on the runway or just off the runway get the captain out of the seat, and then we're going to taxi to gate L13. So that line check airman who was captain qualified, his course of action that he chose that day was to remove the incapacitated captain, put him on the floor or with the cabin crew, jump into the left seat and then taxi another five, 10 minutes to to a gate where emergency responders are waiting. Um, Our general consensus is that is not what we would have done um and i don't know i haven't spoken to anybody at envoy airlines but uh, i know the operators that i have worked for the company policy if you have an emergency like that is just to stop on the runway and let the emergency responders do what it is that they're going to do even if you're shutting down a runway at chicago o'hare so i do take some issue in stopping on the runway jumping into the left seat and taxiing an additional five minutes um, in the recording. You, you, the 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 now captain the now flying pilot expresses some concern that first responders will not be able to reach the door uh, of the the ERJ uh, 175. Um, I can Guarantee you that at Chicago O'Hare, they have emergency services that are very capable of reaching the, the boarding door, even on the runway. Um, so by nobody is marginalizing the fact that he single piloted that airplane while having to take care of his fellow captain there. Um, but uh, John Jester in the chat says they have air the stair trucks for 747s. Um, yeah, again, you know, th- these, these are highly trained airport uh, rescue and firefighting individuals, even if it's just plop a ladder up and get a couple of firefighters and medics up there and, and stretcher the, the, um, incapacitated pilot down. But I, I don't know that I would have chosen the course of stopping and then taxiing five minutes, but you know. Either way, I mean, very very significant event, and and, and kudos to the pilot for staying calm. Um, I would expect that from a line check airman, yeah. but yeah.
1: but a sad outcome anyway from from the event for sure. Yeah. Uh, staying with you, Armando, for the uh, next story.
0: Yeah, so um, sticking with the same theme, actually, basic med. Um, that's a thing that we have here in the US. There. Uh, there is some new, uh, a, a, a new rule from the FAA allowing pilots that are flying under basic med to act as safety pilots for other pilots. So for example, if I want to go do some instrument cur- currency in a Cessna or a Piper, um, to, to legally log that instrument currency, I need to be under Foggles um, or in actual instrument conditions, but I need to have, if I'm under Foggles, operating a VFR flight, under simulated IFR, I need to have a safety pilot in the right seat that is qualified in that class and category. Um, they don't need to be instrument qualified. Um, but there was this problem that uh, pilots that are operating under basic med could not act as safety pilots. And that is a minor change that's happening. Uh, there, there's about 60,000 U.S. pilots who are now flying under basic med. And they're, they will be able to take advantage of this new rule, allowing them to act as uh, essentially a second in command you know in, in a training scenario or whatever scenario you've you can come up with um have, have you heard of basic med or you guys have anything like basic med over there in the uk that you know of
1: no i haven't personally heard of well not when it comes to uh to, i mean we have obviously medicals in the uk for when you you know go for your ppl when you you know, apply to um to train to do any pilot training. You have to have a, a certain degree of medical certificate from a from an actual um air, you know an air medical
0: right chap. Yeah, we have we have the traditional method here in the US is is exactly that is to get a third class, a second class, or a first class FAA medical certificate. Basic med came around uh, early two thousands basically allowing anybody with a driver's license that uh, was still capable of flying to, to to fly as a pilot in command of their own aircraft. Um, <laughs> sorry, Neil Landward just said, he thought I was saying basic meth. Uh, no, it's not basic <laughs> meth. Uh, basic med. Um, but it, it basically, unless you've had a recent application uh, denied a medical application, you just have to complete a physical exam with your uh, general practitioner, your local family doctor. Um, you complete this medical course every couple of years. But basically, if you have a driver's license, you can go fly an airplane. Um, now, there's limitations on that. You can only have five passengers plus yourself. Uh, aircraft is limited to about 6,000 pounds. Uh, it has to be within the U.S. You must fly in, in uh, not Class A airspace, so 18,000 feet or below the airplane cannot go faster than 250 knots and it cannot be a uh, flight for compensation or or, or higher so uh, the one of the things to get basic med you is you must have had some medical issue to you at some point in your pilot career that could have been you know years and years ago but if you had a, a third class physical then um, you are able to fly under the basic med rules if you if your aircraft falls into that uh those categories
1: yeah so, for, uh, for us it's uh for, for your uk for your ppl which is what i had it's uh, a um a uk part medical class two So it's a class two medical certificate for your ppl and then obviously if you go for your commercial pilot's license then obviously when you go through to that you'll then need your class one Medical certificate, which can be obtained um, through an aeromedical examiner, which we have one at Norwich, based at Norwich Airport here.
0: Yeah, so a little bit different, but this this definitely does open up the uh, the opportunity for pilots that have lost well, not maybe not lost their medical. Um, pilots don't have to seek an an aviation medical examiner to get back into the cockpit of an airplane. Um, Neil is asking in the chat room. Is there pressure to erode the safety culture given the pressure to recover after COVID? Um, I think there are many efforts afoot to sustain the longevity of general aviation here in the U.S. I don't think it is in danger of going away like it has in a lot of other countries, but I do think that um, the fuel issue is is a is a problem, right? So we still have low lead fuel. That's uh, the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, and the FAA are pretty hot and heavy on finding some kind of alternative to to a leaded fuel. Um, I think there's, you know, it, it's such a, a vast economic driver for so many towns and small towns here that I, I don't think it'll go away. But there's always these efforts to just chip away at, at some of the aviation freedoms. Um, and you have to balance that with that safety culture, uh, which, you know, every time we see a Mooney crash into power lines in Gaithersburg, Maryland, the the public, the general public sees that and thinks, oh, there's airplanes falling out of the sky, right? Which is certainly not the case. <clears throat> no. So
1: right so we're gonna we've got loads to squeeze in we've got tons of stuff to to fit in the show so we're going to move on to the next story and uh this one is come to us from uh actually come to us from john jester who sent in uh a story for us on the show this week and it's all uh, well it's all about um could a solar storm bring down an airliner so take it away john
3: Hello everyone, your special aviation correspondent coming to you from 3 meters below sea level next to the shiphole airport. I'm uh, coming to talk to you about the uh, story coming from thedailybeast.com and uh, it is how a solar storm could bring your plane crashing down. A passenger jet is flying steadily over Alaska when the pilot notices that coordinates on the controls look incorrect. After a few seconds, the radiation counter begins to tick up. Almost simultaneously, a warning from local air traffic control arrives, letting flights know that an intense solar event has started. The pilot realizes that the plane should move a few thousand feet lower and ask the traffic control for permission only to find communications has been cut out. Dozens of other pilots are experiencing the same issues in their cockpits at the same moment. This hypothetical scenario, as far as has been documented by modern aviation records, nothing of this sort of impending disaster has ever actually happened. But according to reports by aviation regulators, this issue is not whether it will happen but when. Eruptive events on the sun's surface do not directly affect life on Earth, but they are known a known threat for aviation and other technologies. The largest solar radiation storms can result in enhanced radiation at aviation flight levels. Hazel Bain, a research scientist at the Space Weather Prediction Center at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration told the Daily Beast. This can pose a hazard for flight crew and passengers as well as for avionics. High-frequency radio communication in the polar regions can also be impacted. Awareness of so-called space weather effects has been increasing over the last years with regulatory bodies uh, and airlines scrambling to catch up. I'm not going to keep going on with this one, but uh, here we're going to go with the uh, basics of the uh, headline. Uh, No, no, it will not bring us crashing down. The airplanes are shielded from most weather of that type. We could have an intense solar storm that could wipe out power on Earth, but the aircraft is relatively shielded to all this type of stuff yes it will cause problems with radio communications especially high frequency communications but we often don't use that in the polar regions and most of the time we're using cpdlc which is either a vhf service to a terrestrial station or is up to a satellite or can be uh, a mix we can actually use on most of our aircraft all three versions of of CPDLC, which means you're ground based by vhf ground based by hf or satellite-based text messaging to maneuver the polar regions in most cases. And oftentimes, we don't really need to talk to anybody up there because there is almost nobody there. And yes, if we needed to change altitudes, that'd be a problem. We don't have radiation detectors, so that alarm's not going to go off. Some aircraft that I think Nick has talked about on the uh, APG show, uh, they've carried those radiation monitors, but those are after the fact. Uh, devices. They record and then provide an exposure level so that they can monitor average exposures for flight crews over the course of a flight. Space weather is a very known area of of science and the uh, NOAA and NASA and many others have collaborated to put satellites up uh, that monitor the uh, sun at all times. Uh, DART, a project actually my wife worked on, is a uh, Dual satellite that looks at the, the uh, sun surface and looks for these type of events as they're coming. It can provide that critical warning to give minutes of warning for some of the high energy events. But you know, most of the particles that cause a lot of the problems are slower moving. They're particles. They're not radiation. So this is a big threat to us over our health, but not so much uh, for our uh, daily lives in the aviation and we monitor that stuff. And we do make uh, changes to our flight paths If there's an intense solar storm It's coming in, we will actually detour around the polar regions to avoid that area because it is the most chaotic area uh, we see right now. We're going into a high solar cycle. I'm a, an amateur radio operator, which is um, means I, I use HF radios for fun. And this is a great time of year, a great time of uh, the cycle now for that type of operations. It int- generally enhances radio communications for uh, certain bands, especially the higher bands of the uh, amateur radio service. Same is applicable for aviation uh, radios as well. They're, they have some effect on the lower ones, but they will have better use of the higher frequencies to travel further. So, yeah, this is a big non event for us. So, it sounds scary and but it's not so once again your aviation correspondent from three meters below sea level at the ship airport saying uh goodbye
0: i think we're just gonna call uh john our sub t our subterranean correspondent (laughs) yeah it's like our mole oh man that's like a double entendre he's the mole he's our subterranean correspondent um so what he was talking about was uh very important to us in the military. Um, not, talking, not talking about military segment quite yet, but uh, the space weather, we have an entire uh, organization in the U.S. Air Force that has slightly splintered off into the U.S. Space Force, um, which is monitoring space weather and space phenomena. Uh, as you can imagine, a lot of our unmanned, aerial aerial vehicles as well as our high precision munitions as well as our satellite communications to all of those things and and between the department of defense all relies significantly and heavily on space weather and space phenomena so um, this was a regular space weather was an actual regular brief in our combat operations even 10 years ago when I was in the Middle East, where we would have in the morning and the evening briefings, somebody would get up there and, uh, and talk exactly about this because it is so critical. This, these kinds of solar flares and what John was talking about, um, lots of effects on radio frequency spectrum, which we own we, they the, the military forces on quite a big chunk of the, the radio frequency spectrum and all of it is affected by these kinds of, of uh, phenomena. So it is a, a cool story. I, I did see that story too, uh, when it came across my feed. So I wanna thank John a lot for sending that feedback in. If anybody's always interested in sending feedback, uh, please do so, we'll air it out. Um, but especially John, I've known him for <laughs> 35 years now. And I love seeing his face and uh, that new beard he's got. So um, thank you, John, for sending that in. Um, Now, the next story, I think, is going over to Nev, and it's talking about Denver International Airport, isn't it?
2: It is, and uh, Denver International is going to build a centre of equity and excellence in aviation. Well, the training centre aims to create a pipeline of aviation talent in Denver by providing career opportunities for underrepresented and young people. Uh, The international airport revealed the mock-ups of its forthcoming centre of equity and excellence in aviation, which is CEEA, a a training centre to create an aviation talent pipeline in Denver. Uh, Construction is going to be uh, at the end of next year. And the airport in Denver is the biggest economic engine for co- uh, Colorado, which means that the new facility will serve an essential role in creating business and career opportunities for the community, Mayor uh, Michael Hancock said. CEEA is a groundbreaking concept that will be instrumental in developing a skilled workforce of the future that will allow our airport to operate effectively and efficiently during its continued growth, he said. Uh, The 66,000 square foot facility will be built on level four of the hotel and transit centre, making it easy to access Denver's commuter rail station. The space will also feature a hall of equity that is big enough to hold 300 people for training and educational sessions. There will be an adjacent room of similar capacity and the airport said in a statement that additionally CEEA will have a pre-function and lobby space with a small cafe for networking and small group meetings. The airport has begun implementing some of the centres future programmes, including a business development training academy to provide small business training for potential airport concession businesses. The airport said that nearly 30 business owners have completed and graduated from the programme as part of the inaugural session uh, this autumn. Uh, The centre will also use a progressive training model to attract, recruit and retain students and will feature a research and innovation lab to spur research and development through partnerships between the airport and the local universities. Well, that's a great uh, great initiative that comes to us from flyingmag.com. Sounds great, doesn't
1: it? I, I take it, it's no good for, for us um, old uh, older generation.
2: Uh, no. Yeah,
0: <laughs> there is a lot of career changers in aviation. We've we'll talked about that too. Tell me... Tell me if you guys didn't get the opportunity to to take your skills and move them over into an aviation capacity. Like Carlos, if you were in the in the logistics supply chain for Denver International Airport, you wouldn't take that opportunity. I'll, i because
1: <laughs> if someone offered me a, a chance to work in an airport emptying bins on the on outside, I'd go and do it.
0: Yeah. It, listen, and, I, and I've walked through Denver International Airport. I was just there with Megan a couple of weeks ago. It's completely under construction, and when I saw all the wiring that is going on, I could only think of meth. When when there there are thousands of miles of wires running through and exposed in the main terminal there, uh, I would I would hire if I was king of Denver International Airport, which is by the way the largest airport. In the world behind uh, King Fod Airport, right? So it's like thirty-three thousand acres. Uh, if I was king of Denver International City, I would totally hire Neville Bounds to be our our. Yeah. You know.
2: I think the unions might have something to say about that. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just reading a comment from uh, Captain
1: Cruz in the ch- in the uh, in the chat room. Can you say that, uh, one now, Armando? Oh, uh,
0: yeah. <laughs>
1: hey i've got a top gun jumper on what more could what more could you want in life honestly uh, uh nev the king of the king of cabling nev is the king of cabling honestly if nev had a look under here with the with the studio here in the PT Master masters week, he'd have a a mild fit uh, yeah.
0: a consultancy anyway
1: Let's one. move swiftly on. To the next story, Armando, you've got the last one here in the commercial segment for tonight.
0: Okay. Carlos, I don't know if you're able to show the uh, the best way, I think, to do this would just be maybe share your screen. And I and will. Share.
1: I will do that, yeah. Just give me a chance to while you're doing that.
0: So I've actually seen this airplane in person. This is in Roswell, New Mexico. Uh, this actually came to us from from the auction website, which is mecum.com. Um The... <laughs> This is Elvis's private jet. For for decades, this Lockheed Jetstar has been, uh, or or was the the jet of choice for countless a-listers, uh, dignitaries, star studded celebrities. This particular 1962 Lockheed Jetstar, which Carlos is going to put a picture of here, that would be- was, yeah, no exception. If anybody can, no, no, no I'm not even going to do this to the chat room. Uh, it-, it was actually owned by. Elvis Presley. So this was acquired from Omni Aircraft in, in December 22nd, 1976 for 840000 US dollars, which was a lot back then. Um, Lockheed introduced this model in 1957. And uh, this particular airplane is sitting on the ramp at a refurbishment facility in Roswell, New Mexico. It is up for auction. Uh, Elvis took ownership of this Jetstar. It was registered as November 20 Tango Fox. Um, he was obviously no stranger to luxury aviation. If you go to Graceland uh, in uh, Memphis, you can see a, his cust- his custom made Convair 880, which he named Lisa Marie. Uh, that one went by the call sign Hound Dog One. And then this Jetstar, or the second Jetstar, was actually identified by its call sign of Hound Dog 2. Um, But either way, uh, you can imagine that the artist, you know, Elvis used this airplane initially to get all over the country. His band, uh, Colonel Tom Parker, uh, they went all over the country in this jet. The interior, the exterior doesn't look like much because it's been sitting out in the New Mexico desert. But There you can see in the pictures there, the interior, by all accounts, is actually in pretty good shape with that crushed red velvet. Oh man and some luscious mahogany uh no but 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 uh, apparently it's still in pretty good shape so pretty good uh i think it was sold to a saudi arabian company then it ended up back in roswell in new mexico it's been it's been there for decades but i i remember seeing this airplane in 2012 when i first flew into roswell and they took me out in a little golf cart i don't have any pictures but they took me out in a little golf cart and let me walk around this this airplane. So I think the auction is the first week of January, January 4th. Uh, if you just Google, you know, Elvis jet auction, it'll come right up. And you never know. Maybe this will end up at Flixton.
1: <laughs> I'd love to see that over at Flixton. I mean, we've got some great aircraft over there, but I doubt very highly whether that would end up in the uh, on the grass out there. Um, yeah. But no, brilliant. Well, uh, we'll see what we've got left in the uh, PTUK Patreon uh, funds for uh, for the end of the month. we we'll see if we can get that for Nev.
0: Um, so commercial story 11, which we <laughs> debated about whether to do or not. Uh, this is an interesting one. I was watching this episode back. This is a couple episodes ago when Matt, uh, A320 Matt, was on. And he had an excellent analysis, right? I mean, when we were doing the story about the Viva Colombia A320 that landed with, like, 248 kilograms of gas on board, a lot of us were sitting there kind of scratching our heads thinking, how on earth could you end up in this situation? Well, fortunately, everyone survived. There was no incident other than a pretty close call And the aviation authorities in Colombia were actually able to interview the pilots and the crew, go through their decision-making process. Um, Now, we're going to split this up. It's a little lengthy. And the reason I kind of decided to do a a verbatim review of the situation is because I didn't want to miss anything myself. Um, So we're each going to take a a, a turn at at kind of – reading some of the things that have come out from the Colombian Aviation Authority initial report, um, but but the investigators have detailed what was essentially a rapidly changing weather situation at the primary airport and the diversion airports that preceded the low-fuel emergency involving this A320neo. Well, the aircraft actually departed Cali, Colombia, on 17 October, bound for Rio Hacha. The service was expected to take one hour, 46 minutes. They had 6,800 kilograms of fuel on board. The fuel load was in line with the requirements established by international standards as well as the carrier's operational manual. Now, Colombia's Dirección Técnica de Investigación de Accidentes states that Rio Negro Airport, um, which sits on the Caribbean coast, uh, it's, uh, it serves Barranquilla, Cartagena, Santa Maria as well. Uh, they were all selected as alternates to rio negro by the pilots weather reports did not show any significant meteorological conditions at the destination or the alternates and forecasts indicated a probable probable deterioration on the caribbean coast which could require some monitoring however weather conditions and route were quote optimal according to the investigators during this, the descent preparations, the crew found that the conditions at Rio Acha and Rio Negro were good, but at the three coastal airports, um, unfavorable forecasts of storms, rains, and low clouds had developed. So the forecast, as far as the investigator said, did not include the, des- the, the destination, Rio Acha, because... Aeronautical services in Colombia don't actually issue them for this airport. It's such a small airport that there's no weather reporting. Now, we have very strict weather reporting criteria here in the U.S. to conduct carrier operations. Um, Carlos, if you want to pick up there.
1: Yeah. So uh, only after the A320neo had commenced its descent and was passing through uh, 19,000 feet did the crew receive notification that Rio Hacha was closed due to a storm. The crew requested to hold at 18,000 feet and calculated that they would hold for 22 minutes while deciding whether to proceed uh, to Rio Negro instead. According to the captain's testimony, the crew evaluated a combination of documentation, weather radar images and visual observations from the cockpit, concluding that weather at Branquilla and Catanaga was... (laughs) if I spelt that, pronounced it wrong, was deteriorating. Uh, The inquiry says the pilots also ruled out Santa Marta as not only because it was close to other coastal airports and potentially faced similar weather, but also because it presented risks from having a narrow 1,700-metre runway with certain landing restrictions. Investigators found the decision-making process was affected by intermittent communications over the ACAR system between the crew and the airline operations Center, and uh, and because messages were being held up and not delivered in a timely manner, uh, with fuel quantities at 3,200 kilograms, close to minimum diversion level of 3,077 kilograms, and uncertainty as to whether the Rio Hacha would become available soon enough, the crew ultimately opted to divert to Rio. Uh, Rio R- Negro via Valle Dupar. Blimey, these words! I can tell where you picked this story on uh, Around 47 minutes after commencing the version the aircraft ascending through 25,000 feet was cleared to 16,000 feet and to proceed to a waypoint in the vicinity of Rio Negro Airport. Uh, But heavy rain was already present and the runway was wet and traffic was building up and the aircraft landing at Rio Negro were experiencing problems. One Airbus A320 crew reported an overrun while landing on runway 19. Although the control was under increased workload with congested radio frequencies, the inquiry says the aircraft were being placed in holding stacks in a safe, organised and expeditious manner. But the absence of an estimated arrival time for the diverted A320neo, which was holding at 15,000 feet and waiting in the vicinity of runway 01 approach, meant the crew, which had advised the controller that they were quite restricted on fuel, had to assess options under pressure. Analysis of the weather conditions at other airports led the crew to consider diverting to Maticana or Monteria Airport, although the aircraft's flight computers showed that in either case they would arrive with just 100 kilograms of fuel the inquiry says a flight attempting to depart rio negro was forced to shut down its engines as and uh, hold as a result of heavy hail and aircraft waiting to land were still unable to obtain estimates for commencing approaches when the aircraft control told all aircraft at the airport was closed and prompting inbound flights to start requesting alternates And Nev, you've got the next part.
2: Yeah, well, about 20 minutes after reaching Rio Negro, the crew declared a fuel emergency and requested to proceed to Monteria, setting the transponder to the emergency score code of 7700. According to the inquiry published on the 17th of November, the crew maintained a calm, professional and assertive attitude in their communications with air traffic control, despite the circumstances. Uh, The captain's testimony states that the flight management system indicated that the twin jet would arrive with 400 kilos of fuel after touchdown on runway 14. 14- At Montera, having flown for three hours and 40 minutes, the aircraft was found to have landed with just 282 kilos of fuel. None of the 178 passengers and six crew members were injured, and in a preliminary recommendation, the inquiry says that the Air Navigation Directorate should look at the technical requirements necessary to allow real-time weather visualisation on air traffic control radar screens in order to provide up-to-date information to pilots. Yeah, um, is not that not stating the the obvious? Yeah, well, and it's easy
0: to forget now in 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 2022 that there are still airports that do not have advanced weather reporting capabilities that do not have satellite radar capabilities, and, and there are there are certain certainly big chunks of South America, big chunks of Africa, big chunks of Asia that do not have. The weather reporting resources that we are used to in Europe and in the United States uh, or in North America, um, just for a little size comparison here. So the, the distances we're talking about that. The Colombia itself is not a small country. If you were to overlay Colombia, the country over Europe, the northern tip where this was all happening, the, the Barranquilla, Cartagena, the Caribbean coast would essentially be. Uh, Denmark, uh, Finland, you know Copenhagen, like that whole area, which was their destination. The the eastern part of the country would essentially be Paris. The western part would be Western Poland, right on the Russian border, and the southern tip of of Colombia would would lie somewhere around Albania. Right, so you're essentially talking the entire core of of all of continental Europe now. So now you see that's a pretty big chunk of real estate. And as they were departing, this is essentially what the report is saying that all of the Netherlands and Denmark don't have weather reporting capabilities. And that was their essential destination. Imagine hearing that and going, wait a minute, where are we gonna go? Because there was unforecasted, unforeseen storms, hail, low visibility, now we have runway restrictions, size restrictions, and unlike Europe, there's no alternative. So it's either go to Copenhagen or turn around and go all the way back to probably the, the nearest alternate is Berlin. These are the distances that we're talking about. Um, or go all the way back to what is essentially Paris, all the way from, from you know Copenhagen. So, so the distances are, are not small by any means, and the crew is trying to put all these scenarios and and contingency plans into the FMS without the use of, like we we have, we have iPads, we have Nextrad, we have ADSBN weather. They don't have that down there. Uh, I, I'm able to plot an alternate, and then about four other alternates it takes me about a minute to do that if I take my time. They just don't have resources, and. Um. yeah, so this is just a little bit more insight that I think we all initially said, what crew decision happened that they ended up in this situation? And as we get more and more information, kind of is turning out that the crew was actually pretty diligent in their actions, and, and really the, the system failed them, and they were left to, to make lemonade with lemons, and and do the best that they could which thankfully they they did and they recovered the aircraft to an airfield with no incident so think a little bit of a swing of the pendulum over in favor of the crew after the initial investigation
1: it's very interesting i must say thank you for that uh, explanation but uh, don't you think they should have let the uh, passengers in the back know what was going on Perhaps, a, you know, a PA just to say, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, we've got uh, a thimble full of fuel left. Um, not to worry about would, would you want to know that? Uh, probably not, no. Um, I mean, well, it you know, wouldn't bother me too much, I suppose, but I would hate to think if there was a, um, uh, a cabin full of Matt Smiths sitting in the back there. That might not have been too good. I'm not sure. I'm not
0: <laughs> sure what I would. You know, I, I kind of... Subscribe to the Delta Airlines methodology of uh, when you have an emergency, it's two in, two out. So you got to let your your cabin crew know. You got to let your other pilot know what it is that you're intending on doing, and then two out. You got to let ATC know and the company know what it is that you're intending on doing. And um, when you don't have an answer or a plan, what are you going to let them know? <laughs> like starts. I, I think if you started, if you told them, start sending your "I love you" texts. It's gonna. <laughs> <laughs> like in Airplane the movie
1: don't worry, guys. The A team are on board. Pandemonium,
0: pandemonium, and we'll have a plan. I, know. So, I don't know, but anyway, so that kind of wraps up the commercial.
1: Yes, uh we've got a special uh, little segment to play out uh, for you all now, and uh, cast your minds back to uh, many, many, many moons ago, back to when there was a fabled podcast. That used to broadcast a weekly show all the way from Australia. Cast your minds, that's a long while ago. When uh, a certain podcast by the name of the Playing Crazy Down Under podcast with uh, Grant and Steve uh, used to produce their fantastic content. Where have you gone, Grant and Steve, honestly? Well, uh, Grant got in contact with me the early this week and uh, he's been doing what he does best over there and commentating at uh, one of the air shows and he was at the at the scone was it scone? the wing wings over scone is an air show in australia and uh, he's put a little video for us uh, together uh, for us to watch uh, on the show a little five minute clip of what went on there so uh, i'm gonna play that for you right now <laughs>
4: As Curtis P40E restored here formerly well it's in the paint it's in the markings of an aircraft flown by Bobby Gibbs Thus, the uh, paint on the cowl I'll zoom in on that as I walk forward so uh, Bobby Gibbs famous Australian World War two ace flew uh, this markings scheme in the Middle East Okay guys, question for you. When is a P-51 not a P-51? When it's a CA-18, license built in Australia. Mustang! Commonwealth Aircraft Corporation once again built this particular Mustang, the CA-18, based on the P-51D model. Beautiful aircraft. Carlos I don't want to give you truck envy but uh, Kenworth cab over hauling what we call in Australia a B double the little trailer at the front is the A the big trailer at the back is the B known here is a B, a B double very common very common way of uh, not so much the paint job but the, that style and arrangement very common way of getting freight around Australia and uh, if you've heard of a road train they're bigger than this a road train will probably have another one or two More B size trailers on the back. Oh, look! A taste of British. The Hawker Hunter. Lovingly restored. Absolutely beautiful uh, work on the ejection seat. Was just chatting to the guy who worked on that. And a MiG 17 out for these ones. Uh, they're uh, going to be uh, doing a new paint job on that one soon as you can probably tell it needs it. Here's the Mackie trainer used by the uh, Royal Australian Air Force, Royal Australian Navy for training pilots and then the Mirage. You went from the Mackie to the Mirage, Mark 2 fighter and of course a whole lot of people staying out of the sun, a couple of concessions and here we go guys the cars and that middle silver one is indeed a james bond db5
2: festival
4: Spitfire being towed, the mark 9, Rampy's taking it over to get it fueled before the next display segment now sorry I can't bring you the sounds of the engines running and all that because normally when they're running I'm busy working as a commentator but here you go Bristol fighter F2B in the colors of an Australian Flying Corps aircraft absolute cracker aircraft We'll see Yak 52, the yellow thing in the background, and the blue item here that's an Edgeco 540. Edge 540, sorry, Zivco Edge 540. Get it right, Grant, a Zivco Edge 540. Does an incredible aerobatics display, the blue thing. But what we got here? Look oh, look, a beautiful silver Harvard, the American T6A, and in the background there, the Australian windshield. So we all know about the Harvard, so we'll just uh, come over here. Yep, whoop, American. Let's look at this Commonwealth Aircraft Corporation aircraft. This is the Windgeel. a trainer, 50s to 70s type of thing, 1950s. Oh, what do we got here? Oh, this way up. So walking towards the Avenger, but just behind it here, we've got the uh, Wolf Pitts Pro. Paul Bennett flies this, does a solo display that is absolutely out of this world. Now this aircraft, also designed and built here in Australia. This is the Wirraway. Uh, in the local tongue, we're away means challenge, and uh, this was the trainer that replaced the Tiger Moth, and uh, designed to challenge the pilot. If you could fly this, then you could fly the Spitfire. And if you may, if you notice, I'm going to pan around a little, so this aircraft looks a whole lot like that one, doesn't it? There's the T6 Harvard, there's the CAC Wiraway Guess what? They've got a common ancestor. Both these aircraft were descended from the North American NA-16 uh, the Aussies went to the UK couldn't find any aircraft they liked and to the shock and horror of the people of the time and power they went to America and came back with an American design and oh that was just not on according to some politicians but you know politicians they haven't and changed uh, mate yeah everyone's gone in to watch a movie and to avoid the heat mad dogs Englishmen, and me are out here in the sun so I'm going to turn it off here and get some more further in
2: Discover the pioneers of speed and adventure at one of the UK's most iconic museums. Whether it's a tour of the legendary Concorde, a walk around the Brooklands Aircraft Factory, or maybe a behind-the-scenes look at the McLaren Automotive Cars, the Brooklands Museum has it all. Based at Weybridge in Surrey, it's the perfect day out for all the family. We can also host your private function or meeting in one of our amazing event suites. With so much to see and do, come and take a look at Great
4: Britain's history of speed and flight. Find out more by going to
2: www.brooklandsmuseum.com or give us a call on 01932 857 381. That's 01932 857 381.
1: Thanks uh, for oh, thanks to Grant for the video for uh, playing out. Great to uh, to hear from Grant. What do you think of that, Monday? Obviously, you uh, you love your your air shows as well. Um,
0: I love the video. First, first of all, I love the P forty. I think the P forty is like one of the coolest airplanes in the world. And I actually didn't. I had to look up the CA eighteen, the P fifty uh, one, Australian made one. And all I want to know is is it cheaper than buying a P fifty one? Because we'll I would get one. will have to ask Grant.
1: i will have to ask Grant that. Definitely. Right. So Armando, hopefully the military, uh military intro will play. So uh would you like to uh, to kick things off, Armando?
0: Um yes. You can hear me okay right now, right? Yes, we can yeah, we've had to just uh as we say automate down and just go to basic um iPhone microphone. So we've got a couple of military stories here. One of them is an update on a story that we've kind of been following. We get a little bit emotional about, but anyway, Carlos, if it'll play, let's hit the military button. Up, 30s, one three five fifty angels 60,
1: 80, three four zero Okay, to right, see, buddy.
0: I love this. This is tip-top entertainment right now. Uh, so this first military story that we have is from yahoo.com. And it's really just an update on that Marine pilot that I was, uh, that was Australia arrested in Australia. It has now been determined that that individual has been deemed by the Australian authorities as an extreme high risk individual uh, as he waits possible extradition to the United States on what is actually undisclosed charges. Um you can still hear me, okay, right?
1: Yeah, Roger that.
0: Okay. I think the stream may be down. There we go. It's just, yeah, it's just kind of stuck. Okay. <clears throat> um, so Australian federal police arrested Daniel Duggan, fifty-four years old in October. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Um the the arrest came as the Australians were investigating whether any of its former troops had actually been recruited to train Chinese military uh, pilots. Uh, The charges that Duggan is facing are not public. They haven't been made public. According to uh, Dennis Morales, who's a lawyer for Mr. Duggan, uh, they told that uh, reporters on Monday that the Australian prison had actually denied his uh, client medical treatment and pens and stationery, according to Reuters. Um, He lived in Australia from 2005 to 2014, managing a business called Top Gun Tasmania, in which former U.S. and U.K. military pilots gave tourist rides in fighter jets. We would all, I'm sure, love to partake in that. Now, that's all according to Reuters. Then he moved to China to work as an aviation consultant, according to the Associated Press. The Marine veteran actually had a Beijing address with Chinese businessman Su Bin, who was sentenced to prison in U.S., in a U.S. prison in 2016 for helping Chinese hackers steal uh, information in U.S. military secrets related, of course, to aviation technology. Um, Reuters also found that Duggan and Sue also worked for more than a decade uh, for a South African flight school that is now under scrutiny from British authorities for training Chinese military pilots. So through his lawyer, Duggan has denied any uh, crime. Uh, Morales asked Australia's Attorney General to to release Duggan, uh, who is an Australian citizen that renounces U.S. citizenship. Kind of in light of this whole thing happening, multiple nations are investigating China's efforts to recruit Western pilots. Um, We talked about on the show about British pilots being targeted by China to recruit them to train uh, uh, People's Liberation Army Air Force pilots. More countries are now investigating these reports about their pilots being approached Um, with highly, they're calling remunerative contracts for the same reason. Um, Basically, the British pilots were being lured by about, you know, 270,000 U.S. dollars a year, about 250,000 U.K. pounds being recruited since the end of 2019. Um, And it actually, uh, the French newspaper, Le Figaro, reported that China had also actively been seeking French instructor, instructors for um, aircraft carrier landings. So this is like a spy movie unraveling. It just keep the plot thickens, and there's more and more countries, more and more pilots that are saying, oh, yeah, I was also approached. So <clears throat> we'll see what happens with this one.
1: Hmm. Who's that sent, sent, sent in by? Or is that one of the ones you found on, online, on
0: yeah, no, this was just a, a bit of an update um found through uh this one came from yahoo.com, but I think uh the WarDrive, um, the Avi Aviationist had a story on this too. So I've just kind of been tracking on tracking this one because you know, as a former military per- person, it's a it's close to home that anybody would go out and voluntarily go out and train the opposition. <laughs>
1: So the next story comes to us from Eurasian, EurasianTimes.com. And uh, it's Argentina puts India's LCA, TJAS, back on back burner, starts evaluating the U.S., Origin F-16 Fighting Falcons in Denmark. So a top delegation of the Argentine Air Force is reportedly in Denmark to evaluate the second-hand F-16 fighter jets. The South American nation appears to have postponed the technical evaluation of India's TJAS Light Combat Aircraft, or LCA. Along with the Danish alternative, Argentina is also considering the Chinese-built JF-17 Thunderbolt or Thunder and India's Hustan Aeronautic Limited or HAL, TJAS aircraft. The service has been attempting to examine the different aspects of fighter jets before making the final decision. The delegation is conducting technical assessments of the Danish F-16A and B BLMLU fighter bomber jets for the procurement process. Director of plans, programs and budget for the Argentine Air Force, Brigadier Diego Garcia, stated the delegation consisted of experts and technicians that went to the European nation to assess the offered aircraft. He also stated the technical teams and experts are currently researching and reviewing bids from China, India and Denmark. The F 16A and B MLU aircraft is proposed to Argentina under the joint efforts of Copenhagen and Washington. Previously, there were speculations that the Argentina had, or Argentines had, finalized the Chinese JF 17 for its air force during the pandemic. And Argentina's ambassador to China met the officials of the China National Aerotechnology Import and Export Corporation for the procurement of Chinese fighter jets. Some reports claim that China had sent a few JF-17 jets to Argentina for evaluation by their air force, and the uh, assessments of the Chinese aircraft had lasted around a month. In response to the preemptive news, the United States reportedly pressured Argentina to abandon the deal. Now, is it me, or or is the F-16 never, ever, ever going to go anywhere? It's it's almost like the F-16 is going to be like one of these fighter jets that will be around for about a 1,000 years as long as the B-52. Yeah,
0: it probably will be one of those uh, contenders for aircraft that serve 100 years in military service. Um, yeah this is a, this was an interesting story we've talked about the i don't know how it's pronounced in india i can only assume that it's pronounced a tejas uh which is texas right um but yeah this was a bit of a snub because i, th- I think they the the argentinians had been looking at that that indian produced tejas uh pretty heavily over the last couple of years and and now something must have happened and the government and through the economic channels that, that this is now swayed to a U.S. deal for the F-16. Um, interesting indeed. Especially Um,
1: especially when, when you see the videos on, on, uh, on, on YouTube and out of all these F-16s lined up at the boneyards, because I've seen them on there. There's still, obviously there are probably old, the older versions of the F-16s, but there's still plenty of airframes sitting out there in the desert.
0: Well, yeah. and, and you think about the geography of argentina even an older f-16 is a pretty capable aircraft i mean they're probably their biggest rival is just to the north and brazil brazil has a pretty significant military um but chile to the to the left side you know, they're about you know pretty much up here and um yeah you, you can't deny that even an a model f-16 the second hand is a pretty pretty capable fighter aircraft
1: yeah yeah i wouldn't mind having one i'm sure jonathan warner would love one in his back garden as well anyway nev you've got the next story and i think this is one nev that i think you'll agree that that if you're a u.s military um you know commander or something this is not a story you'd like to hear
2: No, it's on the uh, pakistantoday.com website and uh, it says that the Taliban interim administration repaired 70 damaged military planes and helicopters that were damaged by US soldiers before they left Afghanistan after 20 years in uh, August last year. The Afghan force has repaired 70 damaged military planes and helicopters given to the previous government of president ghani by the u.s and its allied forces the afghan defense a military spokesman told andalusa uh, and uh, anadolu agency in kabul uh, he added that all of them are now in service and being used by the afghan air force u.s soldiers had damaged military aircraft helicopters and a wide range of other military vehicles before leaving the country on august the 31st 2021 we didn't have a single Uh, ...operational aircraft when we came to power, he said. The Taliban uh, uh, interim administration then began to rebuild... Uh, the afghan air force he said uh, saying that over 70 70 destroyed planes and helicopters have been repaired and put into service so far with our own means and the support of our technicians on the taliban's request approximately 40 pilots and technicians returned to afghanistan and began their work he said thanking them for repairing the damaged planes and reintroducing them to the air force of
0: course they would thank them right yeah, I don't know what they did to lure these seventy technicians back.
2: Uh, I'm
0: a little bit of, I'm a little bit suspicious of the actual number of, of getting seventy aircraft back in the air so shortly after.
2: Mm. I, yes,
0: but like I don't want to doubt it. If I like Carlos said, right, if you're a commander, you don't want to hear this. As a military commander, I would actually kind of think, okay, well, when we dismantled them on the way out, probably knew what they were what they were doing and where are they getting the parts to
1: Mm, repair
0: yeah you you know like for for example to decommission a a rifle one of the things you can do is just yeah just get rid of the firing pin where do you get anybody have a spare stock of like that specific model firing pins right probably not I, I don't know maybe they do Um, But I would be very, very suspicious that all 70 of these aircraft are actually fully mission capable, Um, even even luring somehow, probably with money and security. Some of these technicians back. um, Yeah, I would be suspicious. Plus, I mean, also, they're not combat aircraft like they're they're We're talking about caravans. We're talking about some helicopters. kind of like basic infrastructure needs so if they get them back in the air will they use them for combat purposes Yeah, you know it's certainly a risk that they'll use them for nefarious purposes against their own people but also to run a government in a country you need some kind of airlift operation and perhaps this is what they're focusing on, I don't know um, just an interesting story I think
1: Perhaps I just should. they should have just run a couple of C-17s in and just st- stuck them all on there before they left and take them back rather than leave them
0: yeah, and, and, you know, somebody had to make that decision. Somebody made that decision of, do we destroy the aircraft, or do we disable them, or do we try to fly them out? You know, um, I don't know. Whoever chose that course of action chose it for a reason. Mm-hmm. Speaking of uh, secondhand aircraft, a very quick update from Ukraine. Uh, There's just a recent story from the drive.com that the United Kingdom is actually sending three WS-61 Sea King helicopters plus 10,000 artillery shells over to Ukraine in uh, the UK's latest uh, aid package to Kyiv. Um, these seeking helicopters will be able to provide a search and rescue capability, according to the UK MOD. Um, now, the, the Ukrainian officials, as we've seen in the news, have been uh, clamoring and, and asking for, begging for aviation, aviation assets. Um, the US, for instance, and a surprise move actually provide 20 mi-17 so that's interesting that the u.s provided 20 russian-made helicopters to ukraine um but there have been some trepidations and some hesitations on behalf of the pentagon to offer up you know aircraft like the f-16 right that's very expensive aircraft takes a lot of training um to go to but i think for search and rescue purposes and for uh, local area transport The UK providing these sea kings to Ukraine is is incredibly important. Um, And again, just continues, you know, we got to keep it got to keep it in the news like we're not a political podcast. We're not a news podcast, but it's important to remember that there is a conflict going on over there and uh, and people are in need.
1: Now, Amanda, before we wrap up the military this week, Jonathan Warner sent us in a very interesting story, didn't he, this week? I've got the video here, but uh, just before I click play, just uh, let uh, the listeners give us a brief on what this was.
0: Oh, the good old F 35. Um, we just keep dinging them up. <laughs> I don't I don't <laughs> know how many more <laughs> ways, other than just the ball and the hammer to the side, we can come up with damage for damaging F 35s. But you're going to check out this video. It happened there in Okinawa. Uh, captured by a security footage uh, camera. And I don't even know what's going on with this airplane. It seems like somebody's in the cockpit riding the brakes. Maybe it has some kind of problem. But, man, the, <laughs> <laughs> whatever it is that happens, it looks like the landing gear brakes just locked. And the tow bar kept moving. With a tug, and it just scooped the nose gear right out from under the aircraft, just plopped embarrassingly onto its nose. Probably not cheap, probably a little bit of an expensive <laughs> fix.
1: Just find it. When you watch that video, though, it, the, the, the aircraft is, you can see it like juddering up, you know, it's as if someone's left the handbrake on.
0: You know, it, it's, it's <laughs> you almost require Benny Hill music in the background.
2: <laughs> what do you think of that one, Nev? Classic. Absolutely brilliant. Oh, no. Yes, I was wondering what I was going to see um, until I watched the video. But, uh, yeah, brilliant. Very good. Oh, honestly.
1: Right, so it's uh, time of the weekend uh, for uh, for our captionists, isn't it, Nev? So this week I um, I, I chose a, a picture for the captionist that I was I – fantastic it's a picture that was in our it's been in our group chat actually the host group chat for quite some time now I, I spoke to nev d- earlier on the week i said nev should we use this one as our as our caption this uh competition picture for this week?" he said yes yes use it so nev for the benefit of the uh, the uh, the viewers and our listeners could you explain while i pop the picture up what uh, this week's caption this picture was
2: uh that's an e 190 uh, sr aircraft at um london city airport that took me to amsterdam a few weeks and somebody's been doing some sign writing on the outside by the looks of it uh it says uh www.seat1a.com and then it says na with a uh, arrow going through it nev airways looks quite realistic actually (laughs)
1: It does look quite good, actually. I will yeah. say we, it sparks some some quite big interest in the uh, on the Facebook page. I will say so. Um,
2: Nev, uh, uh, kick things off. Yeah, well, Dirk says, uh, "Well, that would make Neve the only airline in the world operating single seat aircraft exclusively."
1: Uh, Daniel says, uh, "Where the engine note
0: is just perfect." Uh-huh. Mark H said. Nev liked it so much, he just bought the company. <laughs>
1: <I> don't doubt <know laughs> that. Uh, Jan is saying, while the original service quality is in open descent, the most loyal customer is starting a revival of the legend that used to be the world's favorite
2: airline. <laughs> and Chris says, that all I can say is about ti- it's about time, is what he says.
0: <laughs> Gordon said, Nev's just started his own airline, branching out now. <laughs>
2: And uh,
1: some, uh, some young strapper of a lad, Armando, uh, says the passengers were confused while boarding as every seat was labelled 1A. <laughs>
2: uh, Bill says clearly this makes Nev an honorary Canadian. He's in seat 1A uh, and, as indicated on the nose wheel door, Canadian dollars are accepted, CAD, which is part of the registration of the aircraft. Charlie Alpha Delta
1: uh john says nev airlines where everyone gets to sit on a throne
0: <laughs> uh james says or is that n a as a naturally aspirated neville airlines is nev naturally aspirated or is the plane naturally aspirated i'm confused <laughs>
2: yeah. uh you can then goes on say uh uh, NA Nev Airlines, short for Naturally Aspirated Never Airlines. Thank you for flying with us and good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Some great stuff in there, folks. Thanks ever so much indeed for your contributions.
1: Yes, <laughs> I'm just looking at the chat room because normally they find some good points in there. Oh, it says, oh, Captain Cruz is saying in the chat room actually, Nev. He says, but why does the arrow point to seat three? A, eh? it's a great
2: question. I have to have a word that's with the uh, graphic d- uh, design department. <laughs> won't
1: I? Oh, it's excellent. Uh, just making sure there's no other. It's, oh, Neil Lamwell says, "About time, sir." Said Jeeves, "Another gin and Dubonnet." Yeah. <laughs> God, I remember those those <laughs> dupernay, the little globe drinks. I remember those. Uh, so don't forget, if you want to uh, contribute to the caption this, uh, we run this every week. Well, hopefully every week we do on the show. Uh, on a Wednesday, we pop the picture up on our Facebook page. Don't forget, if you don't follow us already, check us out on Facebook. The picture will pop up on there during the week, and you can uh, leave your comments on, and we'll read the best ones out on the show. And Armando's frantically waving. Are you waving at an aircraft, Armando? <laughs>
0: Now Maddie just come home from school and she's oh. like, where, where is he? <laughs>
1: yeah, daddy's outside. Don't panic. Don't panic. So uh, um,
0: to, the, to the back garden. As to you the can back see. garden.
1: Yes, you are in the back garden. Uh, so we're um, we're going to be getting together very soon, aren't we, guys? We're going to be recording our uh, our Christmas show uh, very soon, and uh, we've got uh, a competition we're going to be running on the co- on the Christmas show, haven't we, Nev? With some really great prizes we've got, uh, which arrived today. Um, so we're going to be doing that competition on our Christmas show. We're going to really be putting. Uh, it's going to be a, a very a quick Christmas show this year, aren't we, Nev? We're going to try and get everything done and dusted within within our usual two hour slot, aren't we?
2: Yeah, it'll be nice to do that, and uh, yeah, really looking forward to uh showing you some of the things that we've been up to during the year again, bits and pieces, and we've got some great prizes as well. So uh, stay tuned for those. So Nev, uh, to, for
0: the to be, be fair, oh, go on. We did record it in two hours last year, but it just took 80 to re- edit it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're streamlining the Christmas show a lot more this year to, to make uh, things a bit easier for uh, for Matt, Nev and John to, uh, to, to tie everything together as they do so well every year. But um, anyway, we're going to start to bring the show to a close. Nev, social media links just for uh, in case anyone don't know.
2: Yes, uh, if you're on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, just search those social media platforms for Plain Talking U.K. You can send us a WhatsApp uh, to the studio, which is plus44. 9166. That's plus 44.7572249166. You can email the show which is podcast at plaintalkinguk.com and the website is all the w's plaintalkinguk.com don't forget you can subscribe to our youtube channel as well and you'll get notifications when we go live and you can help uh, by shaping the conversation of the show by joining us in the chat room as so many people do Uh, go to youtube.com and just search uh, search If I can get my words out for Plain Talking UK. If you go to our website, you'll also find there's an Amazon link there. So if you do your shopping with Amazon, uh, they pay us a small referral fee. If you'd like to do that through the website, please do and have a look for that link. Also, you can become a Patreon of the show as well and make some contributions, which are always well received. Have a look at the website for that information
1: so we uh well we've got uh, we're going to wrap up the show but we're going to say a big thanks to everyone who's joined us tonight for the show big thanks to all our audio downloaders as well of the show Uh, not forgetting you guys who download the show every week via the usual downloading podcast type apps and online don't forget if you're there if you've got a spare five minutes give us a little review on uh, itunes or podbean or stitcher Uh, we really would appreciate that as well if you could uh, leave us a review now we've got a few minutes before we finish little round robin as to what we're all up to uh, because they're all itching to know, Nev, whether you're going to be flying uh, the Glorious airline again uh, next week.
2: I am. um, On Sunday, in fact. So I'm actually going out to Stockholm on Sunday um, and then I am doing some driving around Sweden. Then I'm getting the train from Sweden to Denmark, which I've not done before. So I'll be going across the, uh, well, not such a new bridge now, over to Copenhagen. And then flying back on um, uh, Tuesday or, uh, yes, Tuesday afternoon, I think it is. But I noticed that my flight back from Copenhagen to Heathrow, I'm currently in 4 Foxtrot. (gasps) This is not a number or a letter I even recognise. So I should be doing some uh, research and online argument in the next 24 hours, I'm sure. Do they not know you own your own airline, Nev? <laughs> we'll see how we get on, but I'm, I'm not too worried.
1: <laughs> oh, is that, is that, I take it that's all going to be uh, on the old, uh, the Grand Airbus, Nev?
2: Uh, yes, it's uh, A320 both ways. So, yeah, uh, out to Stockholm, Ireland on Sunday morning and then back from Copenhagen on A320 as well. Yeah.
1: So, Armando, what's going on in the world of you next week? More flying, hopefully.
0: Uh, believe it or not it kind of slows down for the holidays. Sorry. There's a leaf blower in the background. Um, the, I've got a whole lot of nothing this whole week until Thursday, uh, where I'm going to commercial down to Palm beach. And then Thursday, uh, Friday won't be on the show. I'll have a trip from Palm beach out to Las Vegas and then, uh, airline back home, deadhead back home to Charlotte. So pretty quick trip just happens to be on Friday.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, uh i won't be on next week because i've got a my first my one and only christmas works party disco that i'm doing next friday so i shan't be here and armanda won't be here i'm gonna have to uh i'll, I'll get some super subs to join you guys next week
2: well and of course we'll be playing out the final part of rick peacock <laughs> edwards as well will not we so <laughs> yes we that'll will. fill 18 minutes quite easily <laughs> that
1: will and uh, obviously don't forget at the end of that interview that we will play out next week or- battle play out next week uh, there will be that chance to win that signed book all to do with that interview series that we have been playing out the nat boys so yep. that's very good very good indeed so that is about all the time i've got left on the show so it's time to say goodbye so i'm gonna i'm gonna leave the the outro to you guys while i hopefully
2: will play the outro so uh, um over to you nev Well, yes, I'm very sorry about the technical difficulties uh, this evening. They always happen when Matt's not around, don't they? Have you noticed that? But um, anyway, so thanks to everyone for joining us uh, today. I hope you have a good rest of the day, Armando, as well, and a good weekend. Good to see you again. And uh, meanwhile, I hope everyone has a great weekend here. And thanks for watching us. See you again soon. Bye for now.